0: So for the sake of not embarrassing people, we won't talk about the answers that you had about times that you thought that you were alone. Um, I think of the best things at the last minute, so I can't, I, I couldn't get back there to find it for you, but I'll just tell you to go Google it. Um, if Maybe you've seen this. There's a really old video called, um, it's a commercial called Blind Date. And it's, if you just Google Blind Date, you'll find this commercial. And the great thing is like this guy goes to the door and picks up his date. And he walks her to the car, and he puts her in the car, and when he closes the door, she like, let's one rip. You know, and then he gets in the car, and he's like, boy, this is going to be a great date, and the two people in the back seat go, yeah, it's going to be fantastic, and she realizes that there are people in the car. Yeah. It's a lot funnier when you watch it, but that's pretty funny right there, too, wasn't it? Um, Huh. So you know, I don't know if that was your answer or not. Like you know, there were times that I felt like I was safe, and I just kind of let one go. And then people walked into the room quicker than I expected, and I was busted. And they were on the floor dying. Um, hmm. So this is this is the unseries. Today's word is unseen. Unseen. That's the, that's the word for today. Unseen. Um, let me ask you this question. Have a little bit of fun here. If I gave you a magic remote control, what would you do with it? If I, could, if I could just right now pull out a magic remote control and I could give it to you, what would you do with it? Now, if you saw the Adam Sandler movie Click, you already know what he did with it, right? He fast-forwarded, rewound, hit play, record, all that kind of stuff. He just totally messed his whole life up with a remote control. Um, I think we've got a clip just in one scene. I want you to see what he kind of learned to do with, with the pause button. Um, I don't want to encourage you to use your power like that to hurt other people if you had a magic remote control. Um, but I do want you to think about something. Okay. If I could give you a magic remote control and you had a pause button on it, how would that change your world? Jesus, um, he had a magic pause button one time, (laughs) believe it or not, he wasn't playing catch. He had a magic pause button. It's in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Um, here's what I want you to, to start getting as we start progressing through this. When you use the pause button the way that we would like you to, you're going to start to see things that you've never seen before. All right? So just the whole time I'm talking, you're not going to remember anything else I say. Just keep envisioning this pause button. All right? If you use that pause button... You're going to see things that you never saw before. Let me just read Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, and then we'll just kind of walk through it. Three quick points, and we'll be done. It says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, I don't know how you read that, but I read that and go, yeah, it kind of sounds like something Jesus would do, right? And he's probably wearing a dress at the same time, because that's what we see. And he's got a halo, a big thing glowing, and he's got blue eyes. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus, um, three things that took place. Number one, Jesus saw something. Okay, that's your S word there. Jesus saw something. And what he saw was the crowd. Sometimes we're guilty of moving too fast. We're guilty of getting too wrapped up in what we're doing to even notice our surroundings. Um, Anybody, and and I'm glad that Will's not here because I don't want to embarrass him. I mean, with him here, I'll gladly share the story with you. Um, Of the time that we were celebrating Sydney's birthday, and she was really young, and so he was really young. He might have been like five or five-ish or something like that, six. And I'm videoing the party, and I'm trying to video Sydney. But Will's right between me and Sydney, and I'm trying to get his attention, right? Like, and then I stopped getting his attention because was, I was never going to get his attention because he was totally into picking his nose. <laughs> he was elbow in. He was, he was all over it. He was going for it. And so that kind of became what I videoed. I kind of videoed, you know, like a couple minutes of Will digging in his nose and Sydney opening presents behind him. He was totally oblivious to the fact that I could see him. You've seen people like this too, right? You know, little kids, obviously, um, people in their cars that pick their nose, they just forget that you can see them. People that make out in public, they forget that you can see them. You want to tell them that you can, but they forget that you can see them. Uh, This happens all the time. People kind of lose sight of their surroundings. Um, I don't know if you or your wife or maybe both of you, once the TV's on and you're watching it, the house could burn down. And you'd still be there, like, why won't it change? You know, you're just totally locked into the TV. Hey, there's blood all in the bathroom because your kid just shot himself with like a razor thing and it's everywhere. And you're like, what? Hey, the fire's in the kitchen because I'm cooking and I'm killing and I'm burning the house. What? Just oblivious, right? If that's your wife or you, I don't know. in our house, I'm not going to say who it is, but it's not me or Wendy. Jesus saw something. Here's here's what he sees. He sees the crowd. Something changes when we really see people, right? I've told some of you the story about the dad who got on the subway, and he had um, like all of his kids, and he's sitting there, and his kids are not like your kids because your kids are perfectly well-behaved, but these kids were all over the place. And there was a man on the subway that was trying to read his paper. And the, the kids got, like, hit, hit the paper. They would like kick things, kick people. They were loud. And he's just like, you ever, his blood's just starting to boil, right? And he gets so mad and finally he can't take it anymore. And he turns to this man and he says this, Dude, like, could you please get control of your kids? And the dad's words were this, I'm so sorry, we just left the hospital where their mother died. And I don't know what to do with them. And the man that was telling the story said his his whole world changed like that. He went from total rage at this incompetent dad to total compassion for an overwhelmed father. That's what happens when you really see the crowd. Jesus saw the crowd. He saw the man. He saw people differently. He didn't just see the crowd. Number two, Jesus felt something. Seeing the crowd led to something that he felt. He felt compassion. Um, Every now and then there's these words in the Bible that are fun. This is one of them, okay? Compassion. It really means to be moved in your innards. Like like a liver quiver, right? I'm feeling something weird. He was moved. Jesus was moved in the deepest part of who he was. He saw the crowd. He sees the man on the subway. Kids are going crazy. He sees them, and, and that and it changes something for him. He feels compassion for the man. It's deep. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what was it about the crowd that made Jesus feel something that deep, right? I mean, when you're feeling a quiver way down in this part of you and something's going on, right? It's like either I got to pee or I'm feeling compassion, right? Jesus is feeling something deep. Have you ever been moved deeply by people that you saw? Jesus was. And here's how he describes the crowd. He says that they were harassed and helpless. That's what the NIV says. If you have an NIV Bible, it says he saw the crowd and he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless, yada, 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 yada. The NIV did a really good job of kind of um, sanitizing what those words mean. Because what they really mean in the Greek is that they were torn up and thrown away. So Jesus looks at the crowd. He really sees the crowd. And he sees that they are torn up and thrown away. And he has compassion. Jesus saw something in the crowd that moved him deeply and what he saw was their value. We talk about Walmart a lot here. We try to do it in a nice way. Look at how this plays out. You're standing in line at Walmart. You can't even go to the self-checkout because it's full of people. So you're in line at Walmart, you're about seven people deep. And you happen to notice that other lines are moving really fast as always happens, right? You, you kind of scan the crowd. You, okay, six, seven, eight. She looks like she's been to college. I'll go there. You kind of pick your line, and no matter what line you pick, it's the slowest one, right? That's the way it works, and so everybody's moving. You're starting to kind of pack your foot a little bit. You're looking at your clock. I'm sorry you don't have a watch. You're looking at your phone. You're checking out the time. You're texting everybody. You're checking your Facebook. You're doing all kinds of stuff, and you're not budgeting. And you look up, and sure enough, it's like the cashier's up there. You know, he, she's checking people out, trying to. And then somebody up there, that somehow you missed them when you were checking out the crowd. They had like four buggies. And you suddenly realize, you're not going anywhere. You, start, you can't get out of line because people have come in behind you because they also thought this was going to be a fast line. And you're stuck. And in that place right there, you have the power to hit a pause button. You can actually, don't, I mean, don't do it, really. It would be funny if you did Pull it out of your pocket and just hit the button. And if you could freeze everything, what would you do? Well, I know what you would do. You would get to the front of the line, right? But if you could freeze that whole moment and start to really see people, what would you see? The reason that we get frustrated is because we see people based on our value. I'm in a hurry. Can you go a little faster? I have places to be. I've got things to do. I have people, unlike you, Walmart cashier, who love me and want me to show up somewhere five minutes from now. See how we base it on our value. And so we don't feel anything like compassion for those people. What we feel is anger and frustration and what is your problem? But Jesus saw the crowd and he saw their value. And what would happen in that situation if we suddenly saw that line with Jesus' eyes? Well, we wouldn't get mad at the cashier because of our value. We would start saying things like, I wonder what's going on that's making her struggle so much. I wonder if there's a reason why her register's not scanning, why the barcode's not quite showing up. I wonder if there's any way that I could help her feel less stressed in this situation. Here's the thing. You'll never feel that if you're just going through life, right? I won't either. I mean, we just go through life. We just do what we're going to do. We just... But sometimes you've just got to stop, pause long enough to ask yourself this question. Do I see this crowd? Do I see this room? What we just did after worship was we hit a pause button, right? Because I could have just jumped up here and started preaching. I mean, but I saved you. I gave you a little bit of a buffer. (laughs) But instead what we did, we said, hold on, pause. There are people in this room who if we don't take the time just to stop and offer hope, they will come in here, they will sit, they will listen to music, they will hear me preach, they will do the head nod, and then they will get in their car and go home, and they will say to themselves, nobody saw me. But Sometimes you just got to pause. Just hit the button. And just for a moment, allow God to use you to see people. I know this much. If If the sermon goes really downhill from here and it's just like the suckiest sermon in the world, there's about nine or ten people in this room right now that cannot get in their car today and say, God didn't see me. That's how it works. I love that. Jesus saw the crowd. Jesus felt something. I want you to see the crowd and I want you to see the value in them. I want you to be moved in your innards. We make t shirts. I go to the gathering, Deliver Quiver Church. <laughs> I, I want you to, I want you, have you ever been in that position where you just see something and you just are moved? Jesus felt something. He felt compassion. Jesus didn't just see and Jesus didn't just feel, He actually did something about it. Jesus did something. This is the critical part, so we'll just take a few minutes here, okay? Let's make sure you get it. It's one thing to feel something, right? It's another to do something. And so what, what makes pity different from compassion? Pity feels but doesn't move. Compassion moves because compassion feels and moves. That, if you're um, in the Undaunted series, the study on Thursday nights with the women, um, I don't know if you've read this in the book yet or not, but Christine Kane, one of her her best quotes, I'm paraphrasing it, says this, Compassion crosses the street. Compassion doesn't just see a need and go, oh, that's terrible. Compassion crosses the street. How can I help? Do you see the difference? Now, why is that so important here? This, this just blows my mind, okay? Because I don't know how you are. Well, I do. I know y'all are smart people. And if, if at work, if somebody gave you a job to do, you're the best employee and you're never going to make a mistake. You're not going to mess up on the reports or anything like that. Um, now, me, on the other hand, I feel like the world's biggest screw-up all the time. Like if I'm given a task to do, if there's any way to mess it up, I will find that way and improve on it, right? So the, the fact that what Jesus did, what he did next blows my mind he said I see the crowd they're torn up and thrown away they are like sheep without a shepherd now put on your Sunday school hat if you have one not everybody was raised in church okay but if you were put on your Sunday school hat and just tell me who is the great shepherd Jesus Jesus The shepherd says about the crowd, they are like sheep without a shepherd. So, the crowd needs a what? Shepherd. And the shepherd, who we just read, has been busy going from every village to every town, preaching, healing, doing all the stuff that shepherds would do. He's he's there. He says they need a shepherd. And so if I'm his disciple, I'm kind of going, this is fantastic. The crowd is without a shepherd. We've got the shepherd right here. He's already a really popular preacher. Go, Jesus! Jesus did something all right. He looked at his disciples and said, hey, they they need a shepherd. Why don't you pray and ask God to send you? Do what? I can't even be nice to my family. Like, you're Jesus. You go. We'll follow, but we'll pick up your rope. Go. No. no, They need somebody. Oh, yeah, they need somebody. So, why don't you pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into the harvest field? Okay, Jesus, is like, by laborers, you mean you, right? No. No. Philip Yancey. He's a really popular Christian writer. He spoke at my graduation when I was graduating from seminary, getting my Master's of Divinity, right? Hoo-hoo! Makes me sound so smart. It's just proof that anybody can do it, right? (laughs) He said this when he was doing his commencement speech. I don't remember anything else, but this I remember. He said, you know, I don't really struggle with a lot of the miracles in the Bible. I don't struggle with how there could be a virgin birth. I don't struggle with all the healings. I don't really struggle with the resurrection. He said, You know the one that I really can't understand? I can't understand the ascension. Why the God of the universe would go back and leave all of this stuff to us. And that blows my mind because I know me and you know you. And he's looking at us saying, Do something. They need a shepherd. So go, go, go throw up. Monsters Incorporated, sorry. We watched it last night. The fact that Jesus did something sets him apart from a majority of us who may see, may feel, and won't act. Um, I'd heard this study a long time ago. Maybe you've heard of the Genovese effect. I'm not sure if you have or not. It's also called the bystander effect. And here's, here's how it got its name. There was a woman named Kitty Genovese. She lived in New York City, and in 1964, she was murdered, stabbed to death, as a dozen or more neighbors heard her screaming for help and did nothing. I was reading it last night just to make sure I had the story right, because I'm like, there's no way that could possibly be true, because I live in Stanley County. Like, everybody knows everything, right? But here's what it she she's, gets home at 315. She's 100 feet, 100 feet from her car to her apartment door. And between here and there, a man sneaks up behind her and stabs her twice in the back. And she didn't die. She She cried out for help. Like some guy leaned his head out the window and said, leave her alone. Good job. Way to go. Scared the man off. Problem was the man went away. The man came back, changed his hat so nobody would recognize him. Found her next to her door, still couldn't get inside, and finished the job. Later, as the police were investigating, they found out that anywhere from a dozen to 38 people had heard her cry but did not call. Crazy as it may sound, 10 years later on Christmas morning, another woman was also killed in that same neighborhood. I mean, look, we're really good at just watching stuff happen and never checking it out. This morning, as if God didn't have to remind me that I can be that way, this morning we get up and we're in the kitchen. I'm fixing some coffee, and I looked out the window because it was time to take Bella out to pee. Bella's a dog, by the way. (laughs) Oh, you take your kids outside to pee. That's fantastic. And I looked out the window, and I saw a white dog who was just laying in the road. And I said, that's weird. The dog's laying in the road. It's not moving. I hope it didn't get hit. Did I go out to check? (laughs) No. Just made a comment. We're good sometimes at seeing and thinking we've done enough. Man, God never says it's enough to see. It would be a major step forward if we saw the crowd. It would be an even greater step forward if we saw the crowd and felt compassion down deep, so deep we can't not do anything. But Jesus doesn't even want that. We don't get to like get the pen because we saw and felt something. We get the pen because we see and feel something and then do something. He says, man, go out. Into the, go out into the harvest field. Ask God to send, and I can just hear, I can hear Jesus doing this. He's like, no, no, really, just pray and ask God to send people into the harvest field. People. Just, uh, just anybody. Just say, God, just send someone. But you know what Jesus is mean. He's like, you, go. Is anybody else singing the do something song off the Christian radio right now? Because in my head, that's all I'm hearing. Just do something. That's what Jesus, he's Go. We've studied Acts. We're not Pentecostal church so we can just have crazy services and be weird. Ugh. We're Pentecostal because we're full of the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. Jesus is like, oh, tell the cashier, hey, I'm a barcode freak. I can fix that for you. How can I help you? It's not about me anymore. Now it's about you. I see something. I feel something. I do something. Jesus is a shepherd and yet he's telling them to go. So think back um, as we wrap this thing up. Think back to that magic remote control. Here's what I want you to do in your life right now. I just want you to pause. I want you to take your sheet and I want you to flip it over if you have one. And I want you to pause just long enough. Just hit the button just long enough right now To scan your world. Just scan it. And start to ask yourself what do I see? What do I see? We'll pick the grocery store while you're looking in your world. You're standing in line at the grocery store, you hit pause. What or who do you see? Here's what you don't see you don't see a manager. You see a soul who is worried about whether or not the salary is worth the 60 to 80 hours away from the kids who used to be three and now are 13. You don't just see another shopper. You see a mom who just left the doctor's office and heard the doctor use a disease that she cannot pronounce in the same sentence as her kid's name. You don't just see a teenager who can't keep his pants up. You see a young man who has no significant relationships with any adults and wonders silently Why he isn't worth their attention. Do you see them? Do you really see them? Do you see the value in them that caused Jesus to feel deeply a compassion for them? Are you willing to be part of the solution? Our big idea this morning assumes that you will be part of the solution. Here's what it says. When you see what others don't, you'll do what others won't. This may be the best big idea I've ever come up with. I really like this one. I'm going to say it again. When you see what others don't, you'll do what others won't. People that jump into situations that they have no business jumping into, and if you could ask them, why did you, why did you do that? Why did you jump into an icy river to try to save that person? I, somebody had to go like she was drowning. They saw something that others didn't because there are other people up on the bridge. They're not jumping in because they just see a situation. This person saw a person with value. When you see what others don't, you will do what others won't. Jesus did not ask the whole world to go to the crowd. He turned to his disciples because they had seen something in Jesus and in the crowd. They saw something that others didn't. He's like, so you go. I know this about the gathering. If we really see the unseen, if we really see the value in other people, there is nothing that you and I would not do to meet their need. We say it all the time, the chairs next to you are souls. Until we see the value of the souls that we interact with on a daily basis, these will just be chairs. But when we see that, when we start to see the unseen, like that's not just a cashier who's just trying to tick me off by being slow. She needs Jesus. She needs hope. We see the unseen. When we see what others don't, we will do what others won't. And people will start to say about you, man, I can't believe that. Why'd you go so much trouble to help meet that person's need? And you'll find yourself saying this, why wouldn't I? That's I mean, I might be in a really weird place. I totally get it. I told you last week that we're gonna start a second service in September. And so I I told you, hey, people are gonna have like all kinds of crazy questions, right? But the number one question they're gonna have is a one word question, and it is gonna be, why? And you know what my response is? Why not? Ha! Boom! I think I win. I think we win. Because I think the answer has to be why not. Not why. Why says, oh, it's an inconvenience to me. Why not says, God, like there's 16,000 people in our city. Are you kidding me? How how can we even ask the question why? I mean, if you need proof, look around the room right now. It's July the 27th. September rolls around. There's there's more people back from vacation. They're not going to the beach every other weekend. Kids are in school. This place isn't looking like this anymore. Why not? Do the people that we see, do they deserve anything other than just our pity? They deserve compassion. And so when we see them, like Jesus sees them, and he turns to us and says, Hey, how about this? Why don't you pray and you go? Our answer will be, Yes, Lord. Last week, Peter's answer was, Okay, I've been fishing all night, I'm really tired. You're not even a fisherman. You're just some dude in a dress and a beard, but I'm going to do it. Duck down way back in the way back in the day. But I'll do it just because you said so. Caught a fish, caught a catch fish they couldn't even handle, uncontainable. When we see what others don't, we will do what others won't. I want our church to see the value in souls, the value in people, to step into any situation and hit the pause button and just ask yourself in this moment, God, what do you want me to see? If Wendy and I hit the pause button in our, in our neighborhood, what will we see? If you hit it in your neighborhood, what would you see? I know for me, and I'm not the perfect neighbor, <laughs> far from it, but something changed when, um, when I stopped seeing one of my neighbors as this evil man who got up every morning and opened his door and turned to his dog and said, poop in Paul's yard! Cause he wasn't doing that. He was just a retired man who's too tired to walk his dog, and so he just lets the dog out, and the dog just happens to like our yard a lot, right? A lot. Dogs like new bushes. Yeah, mother load. But when I start, God, how how do I pause? How do I see him differently? He's not mean. He's tired. He doesn't need me to be mad. He needs me just to. How can I help? Changes everything. We're not the best at it, but you have the power. You have the power to hit pause at any point in your life and ask yourself right now, God, what do you want me to see? Let me just close with a few real quick statements that you'll either love or hate. I already told you the big idea. When we see what others don't, we'll do what others won't. Um, there is no option for true followers of Jesus, once we have seen the crowd, to not move. That's it. That's the only option we have. When true followers of Jesus really see the crowd, our only option is to move. No, not only will we, will we pray to the Lord of the harvest to send, to send workers, we'll actually put our name on the sign-up sheet. Let me say that one again. Not only will we pray to the Lord of the Harvest to send workers, we'll actually put our name on the sign-up sheet at the top. This week I want you to use the pause button a lot. When you start asking yourself the question, why about September the 7th, I want you to hit the button, I want you to scan the crowd. And here's what I want you to see. In Albemarle, right now, just shy of 16,000 people, they are harassed and they are helpless. They are torn. They are thrown away. We live in a city that everybody wants to escape from and Jesus wants to come into. They have value to God. And that means that they have value to us. I didn't do this because I knew that would cause a stampede if I did, but if I could take a $100 bill out right now, and it was nice and crisp, and I said, who wants it? My guess is all of you, right? It's a lot simpler than referring my friends to DirecTV. Just give me the $100 bill. If I tore it up a little bit, crumpled it, you know, put it outside in the dirt and the mud, poop, whatever, at my house, in my yard for my neighbor's dog, and I just did this a lot with it and brought it in here and said, this is terrible. I bet nobody wants this. Who wants it? Everybody. Value is value. You have value because Jesus says you do. The people that you interact with every day have value because Jesus says that they do. And what I want you to see is the unseen. Any old fool can see the bad. It takes a redeemed heart and a redeemed set of eyes sometimes to see the value. I didn't say see the good. Because I could ask you right now if you could think of people in your life that aren't good. Yeah, yeah, we got that covered, right? I'm my boss, my in-law, my spouse, my kids. I mean, sometimes you just meet people, they just, it's like pure evil. Your teacher. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, whether they're pure evil or not, they still have value because God said that they do. Right? And so it's our job not to look at Jesus and say, hey, that preaching in every village, could you just keep that up? Go, Jesus. But to pray to God, the Lord of the harvest, and say, Lord, send workers into the harvest field. You know what? Don't just send workers. I'm signing up. I'm at the top of the sheet. Paul Jenkins. Go. There's a harvest to be reached. It means that we are We are willing to do anything to reach them. It means that because they have value, they are worth us serving them in order to bring them near to God and near to man. We'll feel compassion and not just pity because we will act. And when we see others in that light, and we'll find ourselves like, why not? Just give me something else to do, I'll go do it. When we see what others don't, we'll do what others won't. And that's good news, right? So here's how we're going to wrap today up. I, I, I'm going to, let's do it, Jennifer. Is that cool with you? Okay. So in the back, huh? let's make sure that this is getting recorded. Is that cool? You got time? Come on, Jennifer. This morning while we were singing, it, it, it dawned on me. This is a great message, and this is a great message for me to preach to you as your pastor and kind of get you all excited and pumped up so that you'll come see me after church and sign up to help on the um, volunteer teams on Sunday mornings because we really could use you. There's a place for you here. There's a space that we need you to fill. But I think that God might want to do something even a little bit more deep than that. I think some of you, it's easy to go, okay, God sees the crowd, but does he even see me? And I think some of you this morning, you need to walk out of here knowing, yeah, we need you to serve, no doubt about it. But I need you to understand that God sees you. He sees right where you are. And there's nobody in our church better to give that testimony than Jennifer Balcom, because she's got it on her foot. Come on.
1: So, um, I don't know if you noticed, I have um, a tattoo on my foot. That's what Paul's talking about. It's on my foot. Um, But it is a huge significance to me and my testimony. Um, Not long after Phil and I um, had been married, we actually um, talked about having kids pretty early on. And um, I knew I had always had a desire to be a mom. And um, I teach, and so I just love kids. Um, So, when we tried to start having children, it took a, a year or so, and... Um, had still not um, found out we were pregnant. And so I went to the doctors and got some really devastating news that um, the doctors, after much testing and that kind of thing, basically told us that we were never going to have kids. Um, and the doctor basically looked at me and said, your best option is just to adopt. Um, and so to be kind of declared um, at that point infertile um, was devastating for both of us um, But I just kind of hit that point where I was angry, and I kept saying to myself, God, how dare you put in my heart a desire to be a mom, and then you just take it away like it was nothing that you ever gave. So I was at that point where I, like Paul said, I wasn't sure that God really saw me because I felt like he had kind of been playing games with my heart. Um, And so we had tried some medical routes and actually at one point got pregnant um, and miscarried, and... um, even saw an adoption counselor who told us that we didn 't at the moment make enough money to even consider adoption, and she told us to come back in a year and um, I was at my probably lowest point, um, the epitome of the valley um, and so um, walking through that valley and realizing that I was going to come out on the other side at I, I, that moment i didn 't know if I was stuck or actually going to come through and so I was actually in a Bible study with Wendy and some of the other ladies, and we were doing some studying and um going through some of the names of God. And so um, one day I was just devastated, and God just spoke to me. And he spoke the name El Roy. Um, And it came from a reference in Genesis. And um, that's actually what my tattoo says. But he just kept reminding me that I know you hurt. I know you're angry. And that's okay. I know you're frustrated. I know you think I've left you alone. But I need you to know right now that I see you. And that's what Elroy means. It means the God who sees me. Um, and he just kept telling me, I need you to just know that I see you, and that's got to be enough for you right now. I can't give you an answer. I don't know when. I don't know how. And I'm, I'm not going to reveal that at the moment. I just need you to be okay. If For those of you who don't know me, I'm type A, extreme type A. Um, I was, like, number one spiritual gift in administration. <laughs> so I like control. Um, I'm a teacher. I like control of things. And God was like, this is one area I need for you not to have a plan. And I need you to let me just be enough for you right now. And so at that moment, I declared if I ever got brave enough um, to get a a tattoo, that's probably what I would get because I wanted to share with other people um, God's testimony and provision over my life that No matter what, um, and those of you who may not know us, we do have a a little girl, Kata. She's three. Um, So God's miraculous provision for that. But even God still today reminds me that this is just not a provision for you over children. This is a provision over you for whatever season you walk through, Um, whatever valley it may be, because we all have seasons. Today, some of us are in a really good place. Some of us today are in a really bad place. Um, And that God still sees us in all of those times. And he just keeps reminding me, I see you despite all of that. And sometimes that is all you're going to get from me. And that's just got to be enough. I've got to be enough from you. Even if I don't see that he's given me what I think he should give me or provide what I think he should provide or when, he still sees. So it's definitely a big calling um, for us to understand that no matter what the circumstance, God still sees.
0: All I need you to bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment. So let's just wrap this whole thing up like this. God is calling our church to see the unseen. Because he knows that if we see what others don't, we'll do what others won't. But before we can even get there, now some of you are already chomping at the bit. You're like, Paul, I want to meet you at the back with that sign-up sheet. I'm putting my name at the top. I get it. But before we can even get to that point, Some of you just need to think about that testimony, and here's what I want you to remember. Here's your your personal big idea, okay? Just your personal big idea. Before you can see the unseen, you have to know that you're not unseen. He sees you. And God sees you. He knows right where you are. When we ask you to serve and to volunteer at the gathering, It'd be easy for you to get in the car and say this. Yeah, but if they really knew me, if they really knew what I was like, they wouldn't ask me to serve. (laughs) Yeah, we would. Are you kidding? We're not asking you because we're stupid. We're asking you because God sees you and he still wants to use you. It's because Jesus, he could have stayed down here and done all the work himself, but instead... He went back up to heaven. The ascension blows my mind. He could have preached to all that crowd, but he turned to his disciples and said, you go. He doesn't do all that because we've pulled the wool over his eyes. He does it because he sees us. He knows right where you are. He knows the good and the bad and the ugly and still wants you. And you just got to get that, man. You got to get that down in your inners today. That you're not hiding anything from God. He is the God who sees. And he still wants you. So this morning we're going to finish it like this. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for you if that's if you are in that place. Where you if you're honest, you just say, "You know what? I'm not sure that God sees me right now." I feel kind of like he's Looking at everybody else but me. I feel a little bit left out. And it hurts. And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. Just ask me and you can put your hand right back down. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. All right. If we could just wrap this morning up just praying for these that raise their hands. God, I, I just lift them up to you so thankful God um, that we know who you are we know that you are the God who sees and that's awesome but what makes Jennifer's story so powerful what makes the story so powerful in Genesis is that you're not just the God who sees you let the people know that you see them Jennifer knew he sees me he's not forgotten Kata I mean, helps with that every time she sees her but even before Kada came along, you told her that. She knew. And so I pray for these hands that went up that as they walk out today, they would, they would not walk out wondering. They would not walk out doubting. They would walk out with absolute assurance that you are the God who sees them. They are not unseen to you. And that means the world's not going to be unseen to them. Thank you, God. For knowing everything about us, the good, the bad, the ugly, and still wanting to use us, still looking to us and saying, pray to the Lord of the harvest. I want you to see the crowd. I want you to feel compassion. And I am commissioning you to go and do something for them. God, I cannot answer for this entire church. If I could, it would be a huge yes, and our sign-up sheets would be full. But I can't. I can only answer for me. And my answer to you, Lord, is here am I. Send me. I want to go first. I want to go to that crowd and show them your mercy. In your name, Jesus. Amen.